Welcome to this special series of Research in Action, where we talk about the outlook for the major economic sectors and investment implications for 2024. We're your hosts, Carolyn Bigda. And I'm Matt Perone, Director of Research. And in this episode, research analyst Noah Barrett, who leads our energy sector team, offers his views on what's next for fossil fuels, electricity, and renewables. Welcome to the podcast, Noah. Thanks for having me. Okay, so if we start with oil prices, Noah, 2023 was a tale of two halves. Uh, prices declined in the first part of the year and then rose in the second half. Do you think we could continue to see price increases in 2024? And will that be necessary for oil and gas companies to continue delivering positive returns as they did in 2023? So yeah, as you noted, uh, oil prices were weak in the first half, um, rebounded in the second half. I think in, at the end of September, we saw a, a high of around $96 a barrel. Um, prices have pulled back since then, but I guess we're down about 15% from the highs of the year, but still at what I would consider healthy levels. When we look into uh, 2024, I think there's a lot of moving pieces uh, that are going to tie into the oil price. And so if we think about um, on the demand side, I would say uh, demand feels okay right now. That's kind of a generic term, uh, and it's a, you know, it feels a little flaky. But when I say demand feels okay, um, if we look at the, the leading fundamentals and the economic indicators, um, we don't really see demand falling off a cliff. So I'm not quite in the bullish camp of uh, OPEC, where they see demand increasing by 2 million barrels a day uh, year over year in 2024. But I think we will see oil demand growth north of a million barrels a day uh, next year, which is a pretty healthy level, all things considered. And what are those indicators that you look at to measure demand or forecast demand? Sure. So we look at a lot of different data. Um, China, of course, emerging markets tends to be an area of focus. Uh, so we look at a lot of high frequency mobility data, trying to track you know, how transportation trends are going, um, whether or not people are moving, overall economic strength um, of developing economies, because that is really the main driver of oil demand growth. Uh, developed markets, um, oil demand tends to be flat to even slightly declining. Um, in some areas. And on the supply side, I mean, we've heard about production cuts this uh, in 2023. What are we seeing for supply in 2024? Yeah, so on the supply side, I'd say there's kind of three areas that I'm really looking at. And so the first is OPEC and what they do there. And so if we say, looking into 2024, that we're going to have oil supply growth, non-OPEC oil supply growth of roughly a million and a half barrels a day, and say we see demand growth of a million and a half barrels a day, that would indicate that the market from today's levels is fairly balanced. Mm -hmm. And so OPEC policy is going to be really interesting to watch, you know, whether or not they decide to take additional supply off the market to help support oil prices, or if they get concerned about market share um, and they actually bring some spare capacity back into the market, which would certainly be a headwind if the demand isn't there to meet it. The second thing on supply that we're watching closely is Russia. So uh, to date, the embargoes and the price caps really haven't been that effective. You know, Russian supply continues to find a home in the market, often at prices above the price cap. Okay. But I continue to think over a longer term period, you know, if, if our prior baseline was that Russian supply was going to be flat to slightly growing through the end of the decade, I think now it's flat to slightly declining through the end of the decade. 
And slightly declining doesn't sound that bad, but when you're the third largest producer in the world and you're declining at 1%, like those barrels really add up. And then the last thing I think we're focused on is the rest of the world, sort of non-OPEC, non-OPEC supply, uh, primarily coming from the U.S., but other areas around the world, Guyana, Brazil, and Canada. Their supply is actually fairly easy to model. You kind of know what projects are coming on and the cadence at which they come online. U.S. supply growth tends to be the biggest swing factor. And I think here there's an interesting dynamic where the U.S. rig count has declined steadily over the course of the year, but U.S. production is actually flat to slightly higher Mm -hmm. over the course of the year. And I think that's just a reflection that companies continue to get more efficient. They see more productivity efficiencies and, and gains things like drilling longer laterals. So one rig is either drilling more wells per year or it's just attacking more surface, I guess, uh, for each each well that's drilled. It's, it's tackling a bigger part of the reservoir. And so those dynamics are, are explainable, but I do think that U.S. production growth, if we we could see some, some downside surprise there, so less production maybe than consensus is expecting in 2024. And so that's a really interesting point, if I could pick up on that, because I think you've got very interesting longer terms. So looking now, beyond 2024, how do you look at the supply picture then, just given those decline rates that you say might be coming? How does that set us up for the long term? Are we in an energy super cycle, like some people say? I do think, you know, we're we're either investing at a rate that's just enough to kind of balance global markets or investing at a rate uh, at the industry level that's not sufficient to provide enough supply for the markets. I do think over time, if you look at, you know, even outside of Russia, other emerging markets, that have seen some oil production growth, they're just not investing enough in the reservoirs to keep that supply coming. Uh, so we will need continued supply from from areas like the U.S., Canada, Brazil, Guyana, North Sea. But right now, it does. I would I would err on the side of a supply shortfall rather than an excess of supply. If we look at over that medium to longer term. Okay, so another big component of the energy sector is electricity, utilities, and that's been a pretty interesting area over the last 12 months, right, Matt? It certainly has been. <laughs> if you by, by interesting, you mean going in free fall or yes, decline. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk utilities. Yeah. So utilities, I, I think there's kind of three things, I guess, that are weighing on the group. If we think about this concept of utilities as a bond proxy, and there, you know, utilities earnings and cash flows are very predictable. They pay very steady dividends. And so income-focused investors will often look at a utility in comparison to uh, to a bond and decide, you know, where is the yield higher? So if we look back a couple of years ago when rates were very low, utilities look great compared to bonds. That's totally flipped on its head. And now, for an investment-grade bond, you might be getting a yield in the mid-single digits, where a, a utility is only, you know, still has a dividend around three percent, maybe three and a half percent. So, from that concept, for the income-focused investor, maybe less of a focus on utilities and more in favor of fixed income. The other, you know, thing to consider there is just how you, the utility business model effectively. And so, when rates move higher, your cost of capital goes up. Um, utilities, by definition, are, are regulated entities, and so as your cost of capital is going up, your return on capital isn't moving. And so that spread is getting compressed. That's not really a problem over the longer term because utilities can pass through these higher costs to to customers. Um, they go through what they call a rate case and they work with a regulator. And so 
you know, they try and push their allowed returns higher over time. But in the near term, there's a mismatch. And so effectively, your cost of capital is getting more expensive, but your return on capital is static. And so that's been another headwind for the sector. And then the last one I would say, too, is the the types of investments as utilities, regulated utilities have switched or pivoted and, and put more of their capital towards renewables projects. These projects are particularly rate sensitive. And so for a renewable generation project, typically there's a large upfront cost and then you have this long tail of cash flows. So not almost dissimilar to tech, where a lot of the value in the investment is predicated on this long tail of cash flows that aren't going to come for a very long time in the future. And so when rates move higher quickly, your returns get compressed. And so that's been sort of the, the third factor that's really weighed on the utility group is a lot of the investments they're making today don't look great in a high rate environment. So let's say if the Federal Reserve comes to the end of its tightening cycle and they actually uh, start to cut rates, is that a, a significant tailwind? Is that a game changer, essentially, for the industry? It would certainly be helpful. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, any, any, any idea that rates are stabilizing or potentially coming down, that certainly would be a tailwind for the utility sector. I do think, though, that rates, you know, even if they pulled back 50 basis points, 100 basis points, we're likely not going back to the, the zero rate sure. environment, the free money environment that we saw, you know, not too long ago. And so I think utilities still might struggle. And so even if rates pull back a little bit, again, versus bonds or other fixed income opportunities, utilities may still struggle. Okay, so you mentioned renewables, and this is a question that I really wanted to get to, because in a note that you wrote last year, you said, it's clear that oil demand is more resilient than pre previously thought, and the energy transition away from fossil fuels, while still happening, is going to take a lot longer than previously expected. What do you mean by that, and how might that impact the outlook for renewables and their stocks in the coming year? Okay. Big question. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think the when I, I say it's going to take a lot longer than expected, I think what most people miss, um, both companies but policymakers, is the scope and the scale of the energy transition. Mm -hmm. And so if we just think about oil, we use 100 million barrels of oil a day. Um, and to think that we can just displace that with other forms of energy in a short amount of time is really not possible. And it's not just transportation fuels. So it's not just people trading in their, you know, ICE vehicle for an EV. We use a lot of oil for petrochemicals, you know, in certain parts of the world, we use it for uh, power generation as well. And so in the context of a, of a global energy system, um, this idea that we're just going to get off of oil in, a, in, you know, five years, 10 years completely, um, I think is a little bit misguided. Another issue is that global population continues to move higher. And so if you look at correlations generally, as, econ as, as countries grow, as populations grow, they tend to use more oil um, in their daily lives. And so we're already moving pretty fast. We're trying to move pretty quickly on this energy transition. But every year, if oil demand is chugging along and growing at a million barrels a day, that's just more oil we need to displace. So that's where kind of this concept of, you know, it's just, it's really, really hard. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to spend money and try and get there and, and try and look for alternative forms of energy. It's just that I think people are starting to realize that it's going to take a lot longer than we thought. So you talked about the risks with utilities, talked about the opportunity. Let me characterize it as moderate opportunity on the energy side. And you also had to kind of grind higher, no super cycle, don't get carried away. I know you've talked about natural gas as an opportunity. 
Is that one that you still are positive about or any other opportunities in the sector? Yeah, I guess uh, maybe starting with the risks, I think. So demand, global oil demand, if we go into a, you know, a global recession, certainly that wouldn't be good for oil demand and wouldn't be good for oil prices and the energy equities. So that's something to think about. I think on the supply side, you know, if we did see a meaningful amount of supply come back into the market that we weren't expecting. So if OPEC decided to go for a market share uh, policy and, you know, took back or brought all this spare capacity back into the market, that would certainly be a negative. I don't think U.S. companies, I think the discipline that we've seen on capital and companies sticking to sort of a low single-digit production growth rate target, I don't see that changing. But if we did see any wavering on that front, that could be a negative as well. On the opportunity side, you know, I, I think the the total return value proposition with energy, even in a static price deck, is pretty attractive. And so if you look at a lot of upstream companies, EMPs, or uh, integrated oil companies, just on a flat, flattish price deck, um, we're looking at double-digit free cash flow yields. And I think, importantly, shareholders participate in that cash flow generation, that cash flow stream via dividends, base dividends, variable dividends, share repurchases. And so you don't need to believe in $100 oil to get a really nice total return proposition by investing in conventional energy. You mentioned gas too. I think global gas is really interesting. So I don't think we'll see necessarily the price spikes that we saw last winter, particularly in Europe and in Asia, but we will see continued volatility. And so companies that have large gas trading operations or are in the business of LNG and have the flexibility to move those cargos around and exploit um, price differentials. I think those are those are also really interesting opportunities within energy. Yeah, so it sounds like potential strength ahead for the energy sector. Noah, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Dove. The views presented are as of date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janice Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, Registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopthate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janice Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. 
B. The U.S. via CC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janus Henderson Group PLC. C. Canada through Janus Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D. Singapore by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited, Company Registration Number 199700782N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E. Hong Kong by Janus Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore, limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janus Henderson Investors, Japan, limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, limited, ABN 47124279518, and its related bodies corporate including Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janus Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions and at resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. Correlation measures the degree to which two variables move in relation to each other. A value of 1.0 implies movement in parallel, negative 1.0 implies movement in opposite directions, and 0 implies no relationship. Basis point or BP equals 1 one hundredth of a percentage point. 1 BP equals 0.01%, 100 BPS equals 1%. Free cash flow, FCF, yield is a financial ratio that measures how much cash flow a company has in case of its liquidation or other obligations by comparing the free cash flow per share with the market price per share and indicates the level of cash flow the company will earn against its share market value. C1223, 53729, 123024.